Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, psychology student, wife, and mama four. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, today I'm here with Rebecca. Rebecca is going to tell us a little bit about herself uh, because I actually met her because I found out about her podcast and I am a huge podcast junkie and I was like, oh, finally a podcast that's for me. (laughs) So Rebecca, I'd love for you to share a little bit about yourself and about your podcast with the Inspired Women audience. Okay. Um, My name is Rebecca. I'm 37 years old. I am an army veteran and I am married now 17 years at the end of October. And I have two kids, 15 year old boy and a 10 year old boy. Um, I started the bipolar girl podcast with my husband. It kind of came out of this crazy thought that I had that all of the podcasts that I've heard about bipolar end up kind of being a therapy session for the podcast host. And I wanted to make one that was more about the illness. So we interview other people with bipolar Mm -hmm. and the hope is that somebody hears something similar to their story and they don't feel quite so alone in their journey with bipolar. And that's very similar to the premise behind the inspired women product podcast is I believe every woman has a story and that story can be inspirational and or informative to other women sometimes you'll hear someone's story and it may not even be on a a topic that you relate to, but they say something in telling their story that you're like, oh, that's me. Or I can relate to that. So, I mean, except mine is like broad topics and yours is bipolar, but it's it's a very similar premise. Mm -hmm. So that's probably why I was um, drawn to yours. And we have a guest similar that's actually in common. That's how I found out about your um, podcast, which is Star. And I'm going to link her podcast episode up in the show notes. So when I saw her share that, I was like, oh, you're telling me there's like a non-therapy bipolar podcast? Because like you were saying, I find all these podcasts about mental health and I'm like, I don't need another therapist. I already have a therapist and a psychiatrist. (laughs) Yes. And so it, it, it just kind of, and we're, it, part of it is trying to, you know, destigmatize it. And it's not something to be embarrassed about. It's not something to be scared about. You know, there's millions and millions of other people who are going through this journey too. Yeah. And I love that it's both you and your husband that host it and he shares uh, his experience too, as a spouse of somebody with bipolar disorder. Yes. Which is a unique outlook on life. I will say that because we, as being, as, as, as a bipolar person, we are not the easiest to be a spouse with. So to have him on and to share that opens it up for the spouses to listen and also hear, you know, how he deals with it and what his tricks are and that it's not always peaches and roses, you know, like we're, we're not perfect people. No, I tell my husband that he's a glutton for punishment. (laughs) Yes. Yes, they are. I've been married going on 10 years and I'm like, how did you stick with me this long? Uh, I just got diagnosed last year. So 
Oh, wow. Yeah, we we spent a good portion of our marriage, me undiagnosed, well, misdiagnosed with major depressive disorder. Got it. And it wasn't until I got the diagnosis that I was like, oh, oh, that's me. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, Yeah, totally. It totally makes sense. (laughs) So we were married one year with a newborn when I was diagnosed. Oh my gosh. Tell us a little bit about that. Tell us about when you first start experiencing symptoms, see, I didn't know I was bipolar, obviously, but I can think back to when I was a kid, I started experiencing depression, probably like six, seven years old. I was really young and hypomania. Now that I know what it is, cause I'm type two as well. Uh, it, it was probably, I was around 13, 14. So tell us a little bit about your journey. So, um, I have always been so I'm type two bipolar, and I also have um, what they call pure OCD, which is OCD without the ticks. Okay. So it's it's all the ruminations and the bad thoughts and everything else. I just don't have the I have to open and lock the door ten times. Um, I have always been a very particular child. I have always been very literal. So you can't to this day. What are they? Uh, what are the questions called? The rhetorical. I, I, I don't understand rhetorical questions. Like if you ask me a question, you ask me and you needed me to answer it and I don't get it. Um, and I've always been that way. I remember when I was, before I was 10, I heard voices. I thought it was normal. Um, by teenage years, I was wild Um, I used to stay up all night. I couldn't sleep until I saw the sunrise. Mm -hmm. Um, I was very promiscuous. Um, There was a lot of of alcohol abuse. Um, There was also some drug abuse involved in my teenage years in early 20s. And I was also just very, it's not spontaneous, but um, impulsive. Yeah, very impulsive. And so I actually was married at 18. Um, It lasted less than a year. Shocker. Um, And after that, I grew up in Colorado and it just, it made Colorado seem very small because we would run into each other, my ex and I, everywhere we went, or I would run into somebody who was our friend. And it's like, it just would never go away. So I impulsively joined the military because <laughs> um, that's what normal people do. And I, I went away to boot camp. I don't remember half of boot camp. Um, it's, it's just gone. It's just not even there. And while I was stationed in Washington, D.C., I met Stephen, my husband now. And we went on a whirlwind of a romance. I mean, we met in April. We were married by October. We had a baby by April. It, it was crazy. No, and, I feel you. That's how mine happened too. <laughs> yeah. And during that time, like there was a lot of hypersexuality and everything else. And, and which was great for Steven. He thought this is wonderful. This is fantastic. I love this. But then there was also days where he would come home from work and I was scrubbing the tile wall in the bathroom with a toothbrush because I couldn't get it clean enough. And there were times where the house was 
either spotless and you can't put anything anywhere and times where the house was an absolute disaster because mm-hmm. I was in bed for three days and I couldn't get out and shower. Um, after the baby was born, I got very severe um, postpartum depression. And that's when Stephen really noticed that there was something wrong. Like this isn't normal. New mothers shouldn't act like this. And we started fighting a lot and I got scared and we went to a, um, a marriage counselor and the marriage counselor we went to had a son who was bipolar. So she told me, she was like, you know, I, I, I'm just a counselor. I can't officially diagnose you, but you're bipolar. Mm -hmm. I can just see it in you. And she sent me to a psychiatrist and I was diagnosed. And so that was 17 years ago. You're telling your story. I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm. Yep. Me. I know I was being so loud, (laughs) but I was like, hallelujah. I'm right there too. The hypersexuality, the depression, all of the things like, um, and most people don't realize is a major, a major symptom of bipolar type two is depression. And that's why a lot of us are misdiagnosed as um, major depressive disorder for so long. Bipolar twos also have a higher um, suicide rate because mm. of the depression rather than bipolar ones. We're like twice as likely to commit suicide because of the severe depression that we go through. I didn't even know that. And even now on the medication, I still get depressed. They actually just um, increased my dosage because uh, my husband was gone for work and I was, there's a pandemic. There's <laughs> a lot to take. A lot. And I was, um, I went into a major depression for like a month. And my psych was like, um, yeah, you kind of need to increase your dosage. So now I'm doing a lot better, but it's the depression, the hypomania that kind of, um, stabilized after going on medication, but the depression is still like, I was just mildly depressed for like three days, like earlier this week. It's just, it's still there. And my, um, psych was like, Hey, guess what? It's probably never going to go away. Yeah. It, it, the depression never fully goes away. I mean, it comes and goes, it's not nearly as severe as it was before medication, you know, where I would spend a week in bed and I wouldn't Mm -hmm. do anything. Like I can pull myself out of it and at least get up and get dressed. Right. Right. But it's still, you know, it's still there. At least you're functioning. Yeah. I mean, they would consider me high functioning. I hate that term. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Like, well, what is low functioning? Like, I don't, but um, in my head, I don't feel like I'm high functioning. Yeah. Right. I don't feel like I'm high functioning. I mean, everything on paper says I am, but I'm just like, no, I don't feel high functioning. No, that's what my first two therapists, I, I'm on therapist number three now. Um, the first one I saw and she did not help me get diagnosed. She helped me through uh, working through my abusive relationship and she didn't see at all the signs that there was something else in addition, but my second therapist was like, yeah, you need to go see somebody. There's something more going on here. (laughs) She's like, I "I can't diagnose you, but yeah. Yeah. We really lucked up with the first person that we ever saw had somebody in her family close to her that she was able to see the signs in me because people suffer for years and years and years with bipolar. And like you said, like even yourself, you were misdiagnosed. And, you know, I, I went through a diagnosis 
process while I was in the military um, because I got severely depressed and they didn't know what was wrong with me. And so they put me on Zoloft and that was a bad idea um, because it made me manic. And mm. then I ended up in the hospital because I couldn't stop shaking and I couldn't stop moving. I was talking really fast and rapid eye movement. I mean, the whole gamut and love the military, but I had a doctor tell me that it was basically all in my head and I just needed to calm down and sent me home. <laughs> I was like, wow. Okay. That made me feel even more crazy than I already feel right now. The uh, mental health care in the military isn't exactly the best mental health care in the world. <laughs> no, it is severely lacking. It is severely yeah. lacking. Uh, fortunately, my husband, he, um, we had s- some major issues that uh, developed with his family early on in our marriage. And he was fortunate to have a very good psychiatrist, that military psycho- psychiatrist amazing man but he lucked out like that's not the norm you talk to other people who've been in the military and they'll be like "Mm, not so much on my end well and it makes you question their motives right because Mm -hmm. like i have a severe mental illness there is something wrong with me like i'm in the hospital there's something wrong with me and it's like what is their motive is their motive just to send you home and tell you to get better because they don't want to lose a soldier to mental health um Cause it doesn't seem like their motive is I want to make you better. Yeah. And, and bipolar disorder is, uh, disqualifying, I believe. Yes. I believe yeah. it is. Um, I know my oldest daughter who is 17 was thinking about joining the military, but she was recently diagnosed as bipolar as well. So, uh, the army recruiter called and was like, hi, I'm calling for Carmel. And I was like, this is her mom. And he's like, well, we wanted to talk to her more about recruiting her. And I'm like, oh, she just got diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I don't know if that matters. He's like, oh, no, sorry. (laughs) Have a good day. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, but you know, it's understandable if somebody's not stable, that could be a potentially dangerous situation. Oh, it very much could be. Um, but I had a, a similar um, experience as you, except um, the medication they put me on, which was Cymbalta, actually made me worse, not better. Oh. So I got more depressed and very suicidal. So it was great. Um, but so after the diagnosis, have you had a lot of struggles with finding the right medication? Because I know some people go years with this like game of like let's try this and let's try that and then let's try this one so we didn't struggle so much with finding the right medication we struggled a lot with finding the right dosage of the right medication Mm -hmm. so i was put on lamictal and that's what i'm on yeah lamictal worked wonders for me and it was always about trying to find the right dose to just balance us out um i had to come off of it because it was making me lose my hair. Oh. So I came off of it and I got put on antipsychotic, which is Latuda. I'm on Latuda for the bipolar and I'm on Lexapro for the OCD. Gotcha. So, I mean, Lamictal had very few side effects. We never had a problem with it, but I thought I was stable on the Lamictal and then I got on Latuda and I was like, oh, I, now I'm stable. <laughs> <laughs> Like now, now I'm okay. Um, I think the weirdest thing that happened with medication, which I know that the majority of people go through is there was this time when it started to kick in and I didn't 
go from high to low with everything. And I remember looking at my husband and I was like, is this normal? Cause this is boring. Like, <laughs> yes. Oh my really, God. This sucks. Like, I hate this. Like I have no emotions. I feel like a robot. Like it was awful. And so I had to go through this whole period of dealing with the fact that now I am quote unquote normal and what that feels like now, because it just, it, I mean, that's the best way to describe it. It just felt boring. Yeah. I mean, the hypomanias as, as wild and, and crazy as they are, like there's so much energy and you feel yeah. like invincible and you feel yeah. like you and that feels good. That's yeah. It feels good to be hypomanic. Like it doesn't feel good for everyone you're around, but <laughs> damn it, you feel great. But then, you know, you crash. Then so- you crash. <laughs> I mean, if we could just control it and learn how to like be hypomanic at certain points. I mean, one of the things that I miss the most about unmedi- unmedicated bipolar was the hyper focus that you could get, mm, Yeah, you know, and you could just be like totally into this project and it just consumes you. I, I miss that. I miss the hyper focus, but yeah, I remember going through that weird time where I was like, I'm boring now. Yeah, I had this moment of like, oh, is this how people usually feel? Like yeah. people don't feel like depressed or like hyperactive all the time? Yeah, and it's like you would get news, like somebody would tell you something and like usually you would be like, yes, and this is so amazing. <laughs> and you were just like, oh, good job. Like, I'm boring, <laughs> I'm boring. <laughs> my son got diagnosed with ADHD a couple months ago and he like reminds me of when I was hypomanic because he's just like yeah all over the place yeah our oldest he doesn't have the hyperactivity of it but he's ADD gotcha and so he has the rapid speech and you know when he gets fired up and he gets that hypo focus and I'm like damn I miss the hypo focus Yeah. We were just, uh, we just had a therapy call with this therapist today and she was, we were talking about how he gets really emotional when I interrupt something he's doing because he gets that, he gets that Mm -hmm. hypo focus on whatever it is. And then he doesn't like it when people interrupt focus. And I was just like, okay, dude, like I miss having that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If I could control it and get that back. Right. And not do all of the things that you did that caused lots of harm. Yeah, exactly. Because I don't know about you, but I look back in my past and I was like, oh, I did really bad things. Yeah. I mean, but something that you have to come to terms with, especially once you get on medication is looking back and realizing what you did. And it's like, you know, sometimes there's not enough apologies to go around. Um, But it's in the past. Like all you can do is move forward from it. Right. Like we can sit here and dwell on what we did, but it's not going to make anything better. Like you just have to move forward and do better now that you're on the medication. But I did crazy things when I was a kid. Like I'm, I'm surprised I didn't die. I said that to my therapist the other day. I was like, how did I not end up like dead on a street corner somewhere? Yeah. Um, the situations I put myself in and, and the random things that I did, I was like, I'm surprised I wasn't like kidnapped or murdered or dead or any of the above. Do you have a bipolar disorder in your family? 
It does run in my family. So um, my maternal grandfather, we think was bipolar. Of course, he wasn't diagnosed. It was back right. in the day when you didn't diagnose, but he was a severe alcoholic, had some serious mood swings. Um, the brothers and sisters think that he was definitely mentally unstable. They assume it was bipolar. My older brother is bipolar. He is decided to not deal with it. Mm -hmm. um, he's not, he hasn't come to terms with the diagnosis. So he was diagnosed, gotcha. he was put on medication. Medication they put him on was way too strong. So it really brought him down. He didn't like it. So now he just self-medicates. Um, my parents both have like anxiety or, or depression, but neither one of them is, is, is bipolar. It's just my brother and I. Uh, I read an article that said depression and anxiety and schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, they're all closely linked. Mm -hmm. So if you have a, a parent or um, a parent that has one of those, it's more likely that you'll develop one of them. Yeah. Uh, I know my dad I'm, is not diagnosed. I, and I'm not a, I am not a professional. <laughs> no, but when you have the illness, you can look at people and be like, yeah. Yeah, you, totally. I'm pretty sure he's type one. Yeah. And my therapist thinks he is too. So, <laughs> and my mom definitely has her own uh, struggles as well. And, and, you know, it, mental illness is something that was always hushed, hushed up back in the day. And even, I don't know, I was born in the eighties. Even then it wasn't, you know, it was a hush, hush kind of thing. You know, it, it, it wasn't hushed in my family. It was that's just who we were, right? Like we were just wild okay. kids. Like it was just a phase. We were going to settle down. Um, and it wasn't until I was diagnosed that my parents finally were like, oh, so there really was a problem. <laughs> like they always had an idea that there was something wrong, but they were just like, they're just wild kids. They're just being children. I mean, we were raised very feral. So like the sun came up, we packed a lunch and we left the house and we didn't come home until dark. They had no idea where we were. They didn't care. Go outside and play, you know? And so it wasn't really a concern of theirs. And we were a very much a talk it out kind of family. So whenever there was an issue and, you know, you have two bipolars in the same house, they're bouncing off of each other. And, and my brother and I know all of the buttons to push for each other. And so they would sit us down and we would try and solve it. And it's like, you can't do that with crazy. <laughs> like, <laughs> you can try. And they yeah. did, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like it was a, oh, you're sick and we don't talk about it. It was just a, that's just who you are. I guess in my family, it was more like they ignored it. Like they actively ignored it. When I found out I was bipolar, my mom goes, oh, we always knew something was off with you. We just called it being Megan. And I was like, yeah, like Thanks. that's totally how my family was. I, when I told my mom I was bipolar, it, it wasn't a shock. I mean, they were a little shocked. They were like, oh, that's new. We've never heard that term before. Like, what does that mean? And they were very open to learning about it and they still very much are, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, but like uh, my great grandfather, I found out hung himself. Um, and I found that out a couple years ago and I was like, but it wasn't something my family talked about. 
And that's something that we should all have uh, known because... <laughs> yeah, that's not something that just average people do, you know, like that <laughs> should be a concern. And then, you know, with... I kind of get mad at my parents sometimes. I mean, they did the best they could, right, at the time. I was I was born in the 80s, so we were coming up in the 90s with all of this. But it's like, how how did you not know that there was a problem? Like, I was taking daggers and stabbing my bed filled with holes. And I was carving mm -hmm. words into my leg. And, like, I was self-harming. And how how did you not know something was wrong? Right. Right. How I felt I, the way I felt was like when I was younger, I was screaming for help, but nobody was listening. Yeah. And then to become a grown up and to have a child who granted he's not bipolar, he's only ADD, but to have a child and to see him struggle and to see him go through his emotional changes, it's like you notice those things, mm -hmm. right? Like, you see that. And you can either choose to ignore it, like you said, actively just ignore it, or you can choose to do something about it. Now, maybe in the 80s and 90s, it just wasn't hip to do things with it. <laughs> right. Maybe we're just more woke. I don't know. But like you notice it. There's no way you don't notice it. Now, did you, you don't have to share about it, but did you experience any trauma growing up? Because I know sometimes it can be genetics plus trauma or just genetics or trauma. Bipolar is complex. <laughs> it is. It is complex. So I definitely have the genetics and um, my therapist thinks that I have the trauma. Now that's can be argued against. I mean, everybody's trauma is different, right? I wasn't, right. I wasn't physically abused. I wasn't sexually abused. I was physically abused by my brother. I mean, he, we would beat the living hell out of each other. Yeah. Um, Cause we're two undiagnosed bipolars. So we have no way to vent our anger other than to hit my mother was sexually abused by her father and so because of that i have a strained relationship with my father because we were very close when i was young but the closeness started to make my mother uncomfortable at a certain age oh. and so all of a sudden my father started pushing me away and so that you know that kind of hurt a little girl's feelings yeah um and also my mother is, was very explosive and angry. Oh. She was in counseling my whole life because of the abuse that she suffered. And so she was very explosive. My brother was very explosive. You know, I was explosive. We were all yelling and screaming at each other, like that kind of stuff. So it was more verbal. I don't know if it was abuse, but it was more verbal than anything else. Right. Um, so... Again, my therapist thinks that I'm traumatized. <laughs> I don't know if I'm traumatized because to me that was normal. I mean, it was my normal, right? right? Like that's just what families did. They yelled and screamed at each other. Um, so. I understand when I uh, when I didn't actually realize I had a little. I had more abuse growing up, but I didn't realize it was abuse. It wasn't physical per se. It was more emotional and mental. But I yeah. didn't realize until I took a domestic violence uh, course, because I am a domestic violence survivor. My, my ex was abusive towards me. Um, and they were talking about childhood abuse and they're talking about all these examples. And I was like, oh man, that's me. Yeah. Like, holy crap. And, and I sit there at my therapist's office and I'm telling him these stories. And he was like, that's not normal. 
I was like, oh, well, it wasn't my house. Like, yeah, it was. But to you, it's your normal because you never experienced otherwise until yeah. you became an adult. Exactly. And then, and then you grow up and you're like, yeah, that's, that's, you don't really do that in a family. Um, and so I guess it's debatable as whether you want to say that I had trauma. I mean, everybody's trauma is different. So it's true. Yeah. Uh, sometimes when I'm talking, I forget other people have not had the same experiences as me and they're talking and I share something and they kind of look at me like, holy crap. And I was yeah. just like, oh, y'all didn't experience that too? You didn't do that? <laughs> oh, that's just me then. <laughs> so um, I don't know about you. I, um, you're a mother. I'm a mother. Uh, I personally have struggled with being a mom uh, and having bipolar disorder. Have you had any struggles with being a mom and having bipolar disorder? So when I was first, before I was diagnosed, um, I was pregnant and I was severely depressed. And I used to talk to my son in my womb and apologize to him constantly. Mm. And I have struggled with being a mom. I have struggled with being a mom to an ADD child. Mm -hmm. I have you know, we have struggled with trying to explain it to them. Yeah. You know, the hardest thing to do is to apologize to your child for your illness, right? So you have an episode, you blow up at your kid for no reason. Like there's literally no reason for you to do it, but you're in a mood. And then you have to go back and apologize to your kid and just explain to him, like, I'm just wired wrong. Um, I think the hardest was when my oldest was younger and I was going through a lot of depression and there was a lot of anger and we were also dealing with his ADD and it's like I don't understand why you're acting like this he didn't understand why I was acting the way I was um for a long time our relationship was strained I mm -hmm. think that it has healed and gotten better as he's gotten older and he can understand it more. I talk very openly with my children about my illness and my diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, my 15 year old definitely understands what it is. My 10 year old knows I have it. I don't know how much he understands, but right. he, knows, he knows that mom has bad days, right? Yeah. And he knows that it's not his fault if mom's having a bad day. That was always very important to get across to them. Um, but yeah, I have definitely struggled to be a mom. I mean, there are times where it just, it's just too hard sometimes. It's and overwhelming. It is overwhelming. And like when my youngest or when my oldest was born, like I'm not a very touchy feely person. Um, I never have been. We didn't show a lot of affection in my family. And he is a very touchy feely person and like, he has no personal space issues. Like he is in, or he has too many. I don't is know. Is this the ADD one? Yeah. Cause my He's ADHD like, son is the same way. Like they are in your face. They're all over you. And thankfully for the longest time we lived with family. When I was first diagnosed, we lived with my husband's family and his, my mother-in-law is very touchy feely. And mm -hmm. so my oldest got that connection, at least with somebody, because I couldn't give it to him. 
um, I just couldn't, I would get all touched out and I'd be like, I don't touch me anymore. Um, and so he, he was able to have that connection with a maternal person, you know, a maternal figure. So he didn't lose that so much, which I'm thankful for. But yeah, that was one thing that I really struggled with because they just don't have boundaries. No, none. And I'm a, I am a physical touch person, but that kid taps me out. Like I don't, I'm, I thought I was a very touchy feely person till I met him. And I was like, mm, no, I do not. And I taught, I've taught all my kids, like you ask before you like hug somebody or you touch somebody because not everybody wants to be touched. Not everybody's in the mood yeah. to be touched. It's, it's about personal boundaries. And he had a hard time kind of like understanding that, but he's finally come around and he'll come up and be like, Hey mom, I like a hug. Can I give you a hug? And if I'm in, in, in a good place, I will. But if I'm like irritated, no, I don't want to, I don't want him to hug me. And then I like react the wrong way and hurt exactly. his poor little feelings. Exactly. And I think a lot of that happened when he was young is he would come up to me and, you know, we're talking two, three years old at this point and I would react poorly. But again, he had other maternal figures in his life that he could get that sense of connection through. Yeah. And it's difficult because you're trying to keep yourself stable and, and, you know, everything like that. And then you're having like, cause I have three out of four of my kids have mental health problems. We have one with bipolar disorder, one with um, oppositional defiant disorder, one with ADHD. <laughs> so I'm like trying to keep myself stable. And then these kids are losing their shit. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what is going on here? And it's hard. It's hard. And it's, it's also hard when like, and I was raising him in home alone with him when I, I was realizing that I had this illness, right? So I'm also struggling with what does this mean for me? And what does this mean for my life? And, and how do I deal with all these emotions? And I'm in charge of a baby. right? <laughs> and it's the first baby, you know, it's like the first pancake. Like, I don't know what to do with it. it, it <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I've never done this before. Um, I was a lot better with my second child, but I was also in a lot better place with my second child. And I made sure because of what happened with my oldest, that it didn't happen with my youngest. You know, he's not a very touchy feely person, but I will get over it and I will, I will deal with it because he wants a hug or he wants me to play in his hair or he wants to hold my hand. It's just, I'm in a more stable place to where I can sit there and, and get through, you know, just suck it up and deal with it because your child needs you. Yeah. And it's hard. Cause like, you know, when you go into a major depressive episode and you're like, I have to get out of bed and take care of these children. Yeah. I have people to feed, right? Like, right these little people depend on me and thankfully it's gotten a lot easier in my house because they are self-sufficient. Right. <laughs> but like when they're not like, you don't have a choice, like you're depressed and you don't want to get out of bed and shower or brush your teeth or even function. And you have a baby crying. Like that's a lot to go through, right? And so you use what little bit of energy you have left for that child. And then by the time your spouse gets home, like you're done. Get you. Like <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> no, and I, I I totally feel you on that. Um a lot of people I don't think 
know, people who don't have mental health problems, sometimes I'll be really open. I'm, I'm very transparent on my socials, um, like on my private Facebook page and stuff about my struggles and the things I've gone through. And I think a lot of people don't, they'll comment and they don't quite understand when I will talk about parenting and I'll talk about how difficult it is. And they're like, oh yeah, all kids are difficult. I'm like, no, you have no idea what I'm talking about here. Yeah. Like I have two neurodivergent people in this house trying to function together and we're barely making it like you're neurotypical and it's hard for you. Um, just imagine. Yeah. Imagine like being depressed and feeling like you can't even get out of bed or crying in your shower. I don't know if you've ever cried in your shower, oh, but yeah. I've done a lot of that. Oh yeah. My, okay. So, so it, it it drives my husband crazy, but for whatever reason, the bathroom is my safe place because I know that I can go there and lock myself in and nobody can come in. Right. Like yeah. that is my safe place. Um, there's been plenty of times I've cried in a bathroom. Yeah. I mean, at an early age, I taught my children that my room is my room and they're not allowed in unless I let them in. Mm -hmm. um, which I'm very happy I did that at a young age because now they will not enter my bedroom unless I tell them I can. And so it's the one place in the house I can go and just have time to myself. Like if I'm losing it, I, cause you know, irritability, as we mentioned, comes with bipolar disorder, super irritable and just wanting to, I smashed a plate like at the beginning of this pandemic, I got so angry that I really wanted to hit a kid. But I was like, yeah, it, I'm not going to hit a kid. I smashed a plate all over the floor. It's that bipolar rage, you know, and it, and it, it's scary when it comes. I mean, because there's, I, at least I've never found any way to deal with it other than- No, to I just out. lock myself in the bedroom. Yeah. I yeah. mean, all you can do is just sit in the silence or rage out, one of the two. Like, I love those rage rooms. Wouldn't those have been fun when we were kids? Like, <laughs> where you can just go in there and just break everything? Like, wow, how cathartic would that have been? during a rage episode did you ever watch the movie is it monsters it's the one with the blue monster um monsters that comes out no no, no no this came out in the 90s the and monster. he comes out from underneath the bed oh i know what you're talking about yeah. i don't know the name but i know I what you're know talking monsters. about monsters but anyways one of the scenes they are literally taking baseball bats and hitting balls into TVs and stuff. When I was a kid, I was like, oh, yeah. 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 That would be perfect. That looks good. Yeah. I mean, rage rooms are all the rage. They're all the craze now, but I could have used that in the 90s. I mean, if there wasn't a pandemic, I could have totally used a couple months ago one of those, like, axe throwing rooms. Yes. Yeah. Get but the I'm nice thunk. Yes. <laughs> a nice thunk. You know, maybe some adult beverages, but not too many. Uh, I've learned I can't have those if I am not in a good place. <laughs> if I'm, you know if I'm a, in a good place, I can have a couple. What's funny is we have learned over the years that it's certain alcohol with me. Oh, There's really? certain alcohol that I can't have that will send me for a tailspin and like I'll, I'll, I'll be a mess for like two or three days. And then other alcohol doesn't bother me quite so much. It, it's been interesting to try and figure out which it is. But yeah, there's a lot of the hard alcohols I can't have. But for some reason, tequila, perfectly fine. I love me a margarita. Yeah, that's my go-to because tequila doesn't bother me at all. You know, as long as it doesn't make your clothes fall off. Right? Sometimes <laughs> if it does, though. You know, maybe not in public. 
maybe there you in go. private somewhere. Private, you know. In private. When I was in my early twenties, they it fell off in public, so that was you know problematic. That's the problem when that happens. That has happened okay. to me too. And I also was undiagnosed bipolar, so that might have been part of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's happened before. I just love talking to people who understand. I mean, I <laughs> I don't have many friends who have mental severe quote unquote severe mental health disorders mm-hmm. um you know a lot of them might have like mild depression or mild anxiety and i was like oh that's cute i know <laughs> don't you feel that way you're like oh how cute <laughs> I, i'm not downplaying you get something major right i'm not downplaying their struggles because it, it no. still sucks but they like they still have struggles but yes. they're completely different than ours yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And like, I, I don't know very many people that can be like, oh yeah, I totally understand that. That's why when I had Star on the podcast and we were talking, I was like, oh yeah, me too. Uh-huh. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Star was great. <laughs> you know? uh, so how are you able to try to stay stable right now? Are there things that help you beyond medication? Beyond medication, sleep is very important in my mm-hmm. life. Um, I struggle with it. Um, but we have learned that I can go about two days without any sleep, and then there's going to be problems and repercussions for that. So we monitor my sleep a lot. Um, the other thing that keeps me stable, and it sounds ridiculous, is my husband will notice a mood shift before I will. Mm. And so by the time I notice it, I'm already gone. Like I'm already into the throes of bipolar. He'll notice it a little bit sooner than me. Um, just in my mannerisms and the way I'm, I'm, I'm conducting myself and carrying myself. So that helps a lot. Um, and just, I mean, over 17 years, you just kind of learn what your, I hate the word, but what your triggers are, you know, what, what's, what's going to set you off, what's going to give you a bad day. And I've also learned to also just be kind to myself. I know everybody says that, but like, if I'm depressed, I won't push through it necessarily. Like I'll call off from work and I will just give myself, you know, I'll say, I'm going to give myself a day and I'm going to lay in this bed and do nothing all day. And then tomorrow I will get up and do it. You know, you have to give yourself time to go through the moods. I mean, one thing I always remember is it is a very cyclical disease. When I'm depressed, I'm not going to stay depressed. There's no way I can because it's cyclical. I will come out of it. And so I just have to be gentle and understand that and remember that, you know, it's, it, it, it won't be forever. Yeah. I posted on Facebook the other day, like, can we just normalize me sending somebody an email and saying, Hey, I'm depressed today. Can we reschedule <laughs> instead of being like, I don't feel good today. <laughs> you know what my go-to is migraine. Everybody understands a migraine. So I will tell people, I'll be like, I have the worst migraine. I just can't function today. And they're like, Oh my God, I hate when that happens. And then they're very concerned about you. So that is my go-to, especially at work migraine. Yeah. I just, I mean, cause Monday I had to cancel everything because I, like I said, I was, I was, for me, it's mild depression. My therapist is like, yeah, sure it is. <laughs> yeah. Like, right. I'm like, sure. well, you haven't, mild. You haven't uh, been around when it was severe. So to me it's mild. 
and I had to like, like you said, give myself that day off because I'm like, it's not, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to get worse if I push myself. Yeah. If you push yourself, you will get worse. I mean, because you'll have that crash. Right. And so I, I have just learned to give myself time. Yeah. And, and I like also knowing like when the mania comes, it doesn't come very often because again, bipolar two, but there was one time where I made a mistake with my pills and I forgot to take one and I got really manic and we just kind of gave into the mania. Mm -hmm. And what came out was that my bedroom was not feng shui and we had to rearrange the whole thing. And so my husband argued with me for a minute and then he was like, all right, fine. We'll just move the bed. Like, you know, like we'll just get it out the way and get it over with. That sounds like my husband. I feel like sometimes when I'm like hypomanic, he's just like, okay, go ahead. Just, yeah. Just like it. as long as you're not hurting yourself or the kids, like fine, whatever, we'll do it. <laughs> I think he just, he, he placates me a lot. Like he's just like, okay, I know she's just going to keep bugging. It's easier that way. I mean, <laughs> I am not a pleasant person to argue with, right? Like, it's, sometimes it's just easier to give in. Right. Well, as we wrap up the podcast today, Rebecca, this has been great. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I really encourage everybody to check out your podcast. What would you like to leave the Inspired Women audience with? I think what I would like to leave them with is, you know, even no matter what you're suffering with, whether it be just anxiety or something trivial that would seem trivial to somebody with bipolar or schizophrenia. Like it's not just you, especially during COVID, right? Like, and we do, we need to be gentle with ourselves. Like we are living through history. This, our, our children's children's children are going to learn about this and ask us what we did during this time. And we need to be gentle with ourselves. Like we're all feeling off and that's okay. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.